Wonderful. Well, as I said, good morning. Welcome. It is really good to be together, especially if you're here for the first time or you're uh, visiting us. You are so welcome, and we hope you have a really enjoyable morning amongst us, and uh, you make new friends, and uh, you just feel at home. It's great to have you with us. In a moment, Katie's going to lead us in worship, and then later on we have uh, a guest speaker, Ed Mellish from Basingstoke, or Amazing Stoke, if you love Basingstoke, uh, coming to speak to us, and I know that that is going to be a real blessing um, to us. Why don't we just stand to our feet? This morning, we want to come and meet with our living God, the one who created the creation all around us, the stars, not that we can see them right now, but the beautiful sunshine, the trees who made us. We're going to come and fix our eyes on him, but also he wants to come and meet with us. And so let's be expecting God to speak to us. Maybe as uh, we spend time together this morning, you feel like God stirring you or speaking to you in a certain way, and you feel actually that's relevant for all of us. Would you come and speak to me? I'd love to get an opportunity for you to share that. Or you feel God's just giving you a prayer that would benefit us all or a Bible reading. Let's stir up the gifts inside of us to bless each other and encourage each other. I'm going to hand over to Katie, but let's have a good morning together. Thank you, Nathan. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm just going to, before we start singing, I'm just going to invite you to join me in prayer just before we start. Lord, we want to thank you for who you are this morning. We want to come and bring our worship to you. We want to praise you this morning for who you are. And Lord, we ask that you would come and meet with us right in this place, in this moment that we're in right now. Whatever we're going through, whatever we've brought with us this morning, we ask that while we're worshiping this morning, Lord, you'll come and meet with us in that moment. If we're celebrating, Lord, celebrate with us. If we need healing this morning, Lord, we pray that you would come and touch us and heal us this morning. If we're struggling, Lord, I pray that you would lift us, lift our eyes to see you. Fill us with peace, with joy. Whatever it is that we need this morning, Lord, as we're worshiping and we're praising you, we ask that you would come and meet us right where we are this morning. Amen. You are good. Lord, you are good and your mercy and your forever. 
Thank you for your goodness this morning. We thank you that you're here with us. We thank you that you are so good, Lord.
our voices in this moment. Tell God how amazing he is. Sing your praises. Give your praises to him this morning for his goodness, for his righteousness. You put the stars into space, you know them by name. Um, and I'm sitting there going, well, God, that's really obvious. And then I had a thought that it's not just stars he knows by name, it's all of you guys. So it's the children as well. I don't know whether you can see these guys down here, but the children are amazing. They're dancing, they're smiling, they're laughing. God knows them by name. He knows Gaines, he knows Mabel, he knows Taylor, he knows Nadia, he knows Luca, he knows Remy. He knows all of them by name. He knows all of you by name. He knows Roger and Christine 
Elaine and David and Glennis and Andrew and Emma. Even if the person sitting next to you doesn't know your name, God knows your name. And I thought, well, that's so obvious. And then God said, no, 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 you've got to get up there and say it. Because he loves you and he knows you all by name. running after 
time for our children and young people to go downstairs. If you're a visitor with us this morning and you have children and you're not sure where to go, typically people exit via this door in the back corner here and I'm sure that somebody will be really happy to show you where you need to go and take your children.
as Sham was reminding us of God knowing the stars and knowing our names, that whole thing of creation, I was reminded of a, another passage in Scripture that talks about creation. It's in the New Testament. It's John chapter 1. It's the first few verses. And it's talking about Jesus, the one who we've just been singing about. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. And We've been singing about what Jesus has done for us. How wonderful he is. But sometimes we can get stuck on who Jesus is. Maybe we, we aren't sure if he's capable of doing all these things, of always being with us, of supporting us, never leaving us, of being the rock. But actually, God's word says he was there in the beginning and he created all things, all things. And if he is able to create all things, and as Sean reminded us, no, each of us by name, surely we can trust him with all things. All things in our lives, even the toughest, the worst bits, we can trust him. He is our rock. He is the one who will never leave us or forsake us. And he is the one who died in our place. This Jesus, creator of all things, died on a cross that we might live. So let's just continue to trust him, knowing that he is fully capable, fully capable. All his promises he will fulfill in us. Just now, scorn for the one. 
Just before we finish, let's just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Before we move on to other things, keep our eyes fixed on him. The one who created you, who formed you, who knows your name, is with us. The one who is over all things, all things under his power, under his sovereignty, is with us, is with you. Who is trustworthy with all things. Why don't we just, where we are right now, just name before God, just in, the, in our hearts, the things that we need to trust him with. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's our work. Whatever it is, name it before God. Say, God, I, I need to trust you with this. You're trustworthy in all things, and so we trust you with this. Holy Spirit, we pray, come amongst us continue to come amongst us through this morning. Come and help us to trust you, to lean into you this morning, to know your comfort and strength, and to also know your power and authority in our situations. Come, Holy Spirit, come and point us towards Jesus. Help us to trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you find a seat? Thank you, Katie and the band. We greatly appreciate you and the way that you served us. Alice is going to come up and uh, bring a, a reading uh, to us before Ed will come up and preach. And um, I'll introduce Ed after Alice has read for us. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to John chapter 2, and Alice is going to read from verses 1 to 12. So John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. 
Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. <clears throat> he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of all the signs through which he revealed <coughs> excuse me, his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Wonderful. Thank you, Alice. Well, Ed's going to come and preach to us, and uh, I just wanted to introduce Ed and also appreciate Ed. I've known Ed since I was 17 or 18, so I've got a few stories which I'll uh, share for another time. But if you're interested in impressions or accents, Ed is the person to go and speak to. He could probably pick up our, uh, an impression of us straight away, and he's very, very clever at impressions. Um, but in all seriousness, Ed is a great man of faith who loves Jesus. I don't know whether you're going to share any of your story, but has an amazing story of God coming in and reaching him uh, when he was in college. And, uh, and although we have less hair, especially you, but uh, mine's going as well, less hair than we had when we first met, actually, God's grace is on this man. And uh, I want to encourage us to receive what Ed has for us. Ed comes from Basingstoke, Mosaic Church in Basingstoke, one of um, our fellow commission churches, our family of churches. And actually, just to let you know, next Sunday evening uh, on the 22nd at 7 o'clock, we have a uh, gathering of commission churches in this area coming to worship and celebrate God together. And we have Guy Miller, who uh, leads our commission family of churches, coming to speak to us as well. So that's next uh, Sunday at 7. But for now, can we enjoy and welcome and appreciate Ed as he comes and speaks to us? Okay, brilliant. Wonderful. So, it's really been a great joy to be with you. I was really blessed by that time of worship, so thank you so much. I, um, when I was younger, I desperately wanted to be cool. Now, that might come as a surprise to you, since I've so clearly achieved it now. But when I was, when I, was I, I sort of lived 
with a crushing desire to be cool. And um, that, when, when you overwant something, it can lean you into irrational choices where you then lose the thing that you wanted in the first place. Because I so desperately wanted to cool, be cool or to be seen as cool by others that I sort of concocted a plan to prove that I was cool beyond a reasonable doubt. So this was my logic, that when you are young, there is nothing cooler than being a little bit older. So when you're 11, the coolest thing in the world is to be 15. And I have a slightly older brother. So what I thought I would do is, is borrow vicariously his coolness. And the way that I would borrow my brother's coolness was by showing I listened to the music of slightly older people. And where better to show that I am cool than at a school disco? And so I took a CD, if you, if you remember those, I took a CD of my brother's music to a school disco. And I, <laughs> I really did this. I gave it to the DJ and I said, when the time's right, and you'll know when it's right, play track 10. And so I thought what would happen at this disco is that I would get up and I would do some prearranged dance moves. But I hadn't counted on something that happens at discos. I don't know if it was like this for you. But, it, but in my day at a school disco, there was, there was a, a row of boys pinned to one wall. And there was a row of girls pinned to another wall. And in the middle was a social chasm in which only a desperate child would do a dance. I hadn't factored on something. And so I watched this strobe-lit chasm and thought, no, I'm not going to do it. But me and the DJ had our wires crossed because I thought this was definitely not the time. And he had come to the conclusion that this was exactly the time. And so he let the room know the next song has been requested by Ed. So now no one is in any doubt whatsoever that this song that is about to play is the song that I have requested. So I stood in the middle of the room thinking, go big or go home. But he didn't play track 10. He played track one, which begins, some people think I look like I'm daft. Uh-oh. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, now, that is Cella V by Bewitched, if you don't know. So I changed schools. And uh, no, I didn't do that. I didn't change schools. Look, maybe you know the scene. Maybe you've been to a disco like that. You, you've been to, there's something almost ironic about them. Because it starts off with these two lines of people pinned to the walls. But then something begins to change. Two become one comes on. The teachers start swaying. The Macarena gets one group up and they start going. Wigfield comes on. A few more people get involved. House of Pains jump around, gets the lads involved. And by the time Teenage Dirtbag by Wheatus comes on, everybody is so into it. They're screaming out the chorus. The teacher turns the lights on. It's time to go home. And everyone goes, oh... The irony is they spent 95% of the night not dancing. But then the lights come on, and it's time to go home, and everybody wishes that it wasn't over. This morning, I want to talk to you about walking with Jesus in evangelism. Because there will be a day when the lights come on, and it's time to go home. And the only thing we'll regret is that we didn't dance sooner. We will never regret the acts of mercy that we did show. We will never regret the times we told our story or we listened or we opened our home or we showed kindness when we served somebody. You will not regret loving Alton into life. You won't. 
you won't. And yet, if you're anything like me, you're a little bit reluctant to dance. There are some things that keep us, there are myths that we've told ourselves and lies that we've embraced which keep us pinned to the walls. There's a survey done called Talking Jesus, a few Christian organizations come together and they, they look at Christian and non-Christian um, attitudes to faith. 97% of Christians think that the best thing that can happen to their friend is that their friend becomes a Christian. And I would suggest, in, maybe in our kind of churches, that number's probably low. 97%. That survey, same survey tells us that two in five Christians, or actually more than 40%, say effectively it would be better if somebody else did it. Not that they don't want to, but fears like maybe I'm not capable, or a misunderstanding of what it means to be fruitful, or some myths have kept us pinned to the walls, thinking, well, um, I couldn't be fruitful because I don't have the gift, or I couldn't give it a go because what if I say the wrong thing? And so we're left there at worst thinking, Jesus is the joy of seeing Jesus transform someone else's life is a joy reserved for other people. And I want to persuade you that that's not true. That joy is intended for you. That joy is intended for all of you. And so um, the best people I know to do that is the group of people we just heard about, the servants at the wedding at Cana. So I want to talk about five truths about walking with God in evangelism from those servants that set us free to actually start dancing because we won't regret it when we do. So number one, here's the truth for you. They are participants and not miracle workers. So here's the scene, so we're all on the same page. Jesus comes and he doesn't just do a miracle, he does a sign, which, which is different. And so um, I, I drove here this morning and I followed a lot of signs to Alton. But if I'd stopped at the sign, I wouldn't have been using it right. I wouldn't have got to enjoy the wonders of Alton. If I just stopped at the sign, there's something about the sign that points beyond itself. And so here is Jesus doing in his very first miracle, letting us know who he is and what he's come to do. He makes between 700 liters uh, and 1,000 liters of the drink of the new creation to let us know that he's the one that's come to bring the party back. And so here is Jesus doing an incredible transformation. But I don't know if you noticed, an awful lot of it happens in the hands of the servants. The closing verses says this is his miracle by which he revealed his glory. And as far as we know, he never fetched a drop of water. In fact, if I was one of the servants, I would be furious if I'd given my account to John and I told him. And John, was when he was writing his gospel, said, God, this is brilliant stuff. This is definitely going to make the editor's cut. And they queued up outside Waterstones to find out. And they're nameless. They're not even in there. Jesus never lifts a finger, but it's his miracle. That they do all the stuff, but ultimately they're just participants. Jesus is the one that does the actual transformation. They are participants and not miracle workers. They, they do something incredible. They see something amazing, but they step into an amazing story anonymously. Because they make no mistake, or when we get involved in Jesus' transform transformation of a life, we make no mistake. We participate but he transforms. But all the glory ends up being his. And that sets me free to do things that get me no glory whatsoever. The question of whether I get honored in it or I get glorified in it doesn't feature. The question is, does he get glorified in it? Jesus revealed his glory. See, what that means, firstly, is this. We begin with praying. 
So if you want to know how to transform a life, here's some wonderful news. You can't. Only Jesus can. And so talk to Jesus about your friends before you talk to your friends about Jesus. We serve, he transforms. Here's the joy of this. We get to fall to the ground and die so that Jesus gets glorified. We get to fall to the ground and die. We get to embrace the terrifying pain of edging ourselves off the wall to step in to participate in what Jesus is doing. We're servants, not saviors. Somebody's got that bit covered already. He transforms, we participate. Two, they obeyed him to the brim. I don't know what you imagine would happen, uh, happen in the first century uh, when, the, when someone has to go and fetch water, but they ain't getting it from a tap. So these servants have to get 700 to 1,000 liters of water. And I don't know if you saw this little detail, but I think it's beautiful. It says, and they filled them to the brim. They filled them to the top. They have no idea why they're doing what Jesus has asked them to do. Mary has just in a moment of spectacular wisdom told them, do whatever he says. And they do it to the brim. If, if I were to ask you, or you were to ask those servants, what does it feel like to be involved in a transformation like that? They would say, it's like about a thousand trips to a well. Like, if you wanted to ask, what does it feel like to be involved in Jesus transforming someone's life? About a thousand unspectacular actions. Like, like a, a thousand times of just being there and, and showing kindness. A thousand times of opening your home and offering to pray and listening and showing kindness and showing mercy. A thousand ordinary trips. It's a thousand small actions. Jesus transforms lives the same way. Often not through the spectacular intervention of a speaker, but people's journeys are long and more complicated. An invitation and a friendship. An ordinary Christian friend walking with them. For the long road, a thousand trips, living an ordinary life of passionate discipleship, who loves them comprehensively. Jesus says to us, love your neighbor. What would it mean if we loved them to the brim? No room for more blessing to go in. To the brim, to the fullness. You know, the, um, there's a little exercise that I would sometimes do with people in a kind of training context, but I just think it's so helpful. And I, I would get people to get a piece of paper and write a line down the middle of it. And in the left-hand column, say, what I want you to do is write down all the attributes and characteristics of an evangelist. And maybe you can just do it, you don't have to write anything, but intuitive in your head, what springs to mind when you think of one? Because then I'll get you with my second part of the little thing, which is on the second column, I want you to write down the names and the attributes of the people who are most significant in you becoming a Christian. And here's why that works. The first column is the life that you imagine is evangelistically fruitful. And the second column are the lives that actually are. And this is what people would normally do in the first column. Confident, persuasive, talented at speaking, extroverted, forceful even. Here's what the second column often is. Caring, kind, interested, compassionate, honest. There's a distinction between the lives that we think must be fruitful and the lives that actually are. 
I want to invite you this morning to walk with Jesus in evangelism by reimagining a fruitful life as loving your neighbor to the brim. So that numbers aren't the question, and not how many, but to what degree and to what depth do you love the one in front of you? That's really, truly a fruitful life. Love the one in front. Oh, I'm going to skip loads of things, but I would just encourage you, if you, if you want a driving instructor, and now my metaphors are going to collide in a disastrous fashion. If you, want a, if you want a driving instructor for how to dance, why don't you say a dance teacher, Ed? Can't be sure. If you want to know, there's a fantastic book, which is called Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. I would just really encourage you to do that. But there's um, one in, between one in three people and one in four people are interested in the difference that Christianity would make to their life. But 70% of people have no intention of ever going to a church. That means there are people who are interested but will never have a means of encountering it unless we as a people get scattered. Unless we as a people get scattered. See, this is what I found. There is an immense amount of covert searching and longing with people having profound questions like, is everything going to be okay? And what's the point? And what will really make me happy? But, but the gospel can cross any relational bridge. Like you can meet someone in a moment and share the truths of the gospel and it can cross and transform someone's life immediately. But those honest questions, they need a much stronger relational bridge to cross. Pe people don't admit their covert searching to a stranger. They do it to a friend. And that means investment in relationship. Okay, I'm going to jump. Here's the third thing. They cross the pain line. They cross the pain line. If we want to be involved in Jesus' transformation of a life, I want to encourage you to cross the pain line. I don't know, um, if you think about it, giving, giving water to a master of a feast in the first century was a dangerous action. It was kind of risky, because if he was expecting wine and got water, you as a servant would face career limitations in a sort of painful form. Right? It was risky to do it. Now, um, I grew up in Godalming, and I can tell you that the best thing that you can do in Godalming is get the train to Guildford. And, and when you get to Guildford, what, what they have there is the Guildford Spectrum. Now, me and my friends used to go to the Guildford Spectrum, and we went there for one thing. We wanted to see someone get the high dive wrong. Now, there, there are some beautiful sounds in the world. Classical music is a beautiful sound. Corporate worship is a beautiful sound, but there's no sound like a horizontal torso striking the water. That's what you wanted. That's what we wanted to hear. We wanted to see somebody get the high dive wrong. There was, an act, there was a moment where actually, you know, the mark of courage as a young teen was the degree to which you were willing to go off the high board. So I want you to imagine you are at the five-meter board at the Guildford Spectrum, or another five-meter board if you've never been to the Guildford Spectrum. Okay, so I want you to imagine it, and you come to the edge of the five-meter board, and, and I want you to imagine you look down, and this time's a little bit different because there's no water. And God says, jump. This tends to be how we respond. God, if you fill it, I'll jump. And God typically says, if you jump, I'll fill it. I don't know when the water became wine, but I'll tell you when I think it was, right at the last moment. 
right at the last moment because that's always what he does. That's always what he does. Now, here's, here's what I want to suggest to you. <laughs> Diving is an act of obedience in that context, right? Obedience is an act of trust which invites us to discover that Jesus is faithful. He does it that in order that we might increasingly leap from higher boards as we find out he really can be trusted in all things. Like he can be trusted in all things. There is a pain line to cross. I'll admit it when it comes to talking to people about faith. Surely you feel it too and it's not just me. And yet when we cross it, we discover him to be faithful. We discover him to be faithful. And so here's my encouragement to you in that. You can only do that when, when the reason that you share him goes deep. You see, urgency is a great reason because you believe it's true. And so, of course, it's urgent. So people have to know, like, just purely at the level of logic, urgency is great. Compassion is richer still. Now I'm not doing it for the urgency's sake or for my sake, but truly for theirs. In the same way that the word most commonly spoken about Jesus when he sees a crowd is the word compassion. Like he feels it in his gut like sheep without a shepherd because they don't know the way to meet him. Or sick and needing healing or whatever it is when he shows mercy, heals the sick or talks about himself. The word for which he does it is compassion. That's rich. But I want to encourage you to take it a level even deeper and down into worship. Evangelism as worship. And there's just this beautiful moment where it says this. Um, when the master of the feast tasted it, he didn't know where the wine had come from, but the servants knew. If you want to enjoy intimacy with God, really, cross a pain line to love your neighbor. You'll meet him there. Fourth, I'll be really quick. Share your story like the master of the feast. is an interesting thing. If you ask a group of Christians, what's Jesus like? And you give them a list of drop-down options. So, you know, um, a leader or spiritual or a teacher or loving. Top of the list by a country mile is loving. 90% plus would describe Jesus that way. You ask a non-Christian... Describe Jesus, give him the same drop-down list, and loving is in the low teens. That is to say that the thing that we are most persuaded of from experience is probably the source of our friend's greatest doubt. That, that they have reasons to believe from experience or what they've seen that love is either not at the heart of the character of God or not at the heart of the Christian faith. Some misunderstanding has taken hold, which makes them believe those things to be the case. So when the master of the feast comes in, he says words like this. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever had a meal like this? Oh, my good, You have got to try that. Where did you get this wine from, is what he says to them. Like, we've never had anything. Like, you've got to try it. This is, oh, my goodness. Where have you been hiding this, this whole meal kind of good? This is, I've never tasted anything like it. I can't believe it. Overflowing, abundant, best till now kind of stuff. That's how he talks about the wine, which is a sign of the transformation that Jesus brings to us. You see, when we talk about the difference that Jesus has made in our everyday lives, like the master of the feast talks about the wine, we do something. This is just a superb book. Um, I think it's by Hannah Steele. It's called Living His Story. 
Before you invite them to meet Jesus, you invite people to an act of the imagination. This person really thinks God's loving, which is what I doubted. Like this person seems to have really discovered this to be true. Just to share with people an overflowing, abundant, oh my goodness, you've never seen anything like it. If you ask John what's good evangelism in the Gospel of John, he says inviting people to come and see. That's what happens in the next chapter when a guy called Philip talks to his brother in words that he would understand, come and see, I found the one. Come and see, I found the one we're waiting for, come and see. And Nathaniel doubts it and says, can anything good come from Nazareth? But he does. He goes and sees and finds out that something really can. Or a woman at the well says to a group of people, come and see. you just got to come and see it. It's an invitation before it's an invitation to anything else, to an act of the imagination that God is actually as good as I have discovered him to be. So I want to encourage you to enjoy and delight in him. Rankin Wilborn put it like this. Cracking name, by the way, isn't it? John 17, 3, he's referring to when Jesus says, this is eternal life. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you've sent. He redefines it, flips it on his head, and makes eternal life not a place that you go to then, but a relationship that you enter now, where all the abundant, oh my goodness, where have you been hiding this riches, begin today. So this is what Rankin Wilborn said, eternal life begins in this life when Jesus joins his life to yours. It's good. It's the best till now kind of good. It's, oh my goodness, where have you been hiding this? You've really got to try it kind of good. All right, and lastly, loving your neighbor to the brim means this. It means pointing them to the hour. The conversation in this passage can feel a little bit clunky. I don't know if you see it. It's a little bit strange. Um, Mary says to Jesus, they've run out of wine. And Jesus says, my hour's not yet come. Which is, it just seems like we're having two cross conversations that don't make any sense. When we're talking. And if, if this was just a miracle, that would be true. But this isn't a miracle. This is a sign. So the conversation's really about something else. Now, this is Jesus saying, I'm the one who has come to bring the party back. And I'm not come to bring it back like you think, politically or through a revolution. I've come to do it inwardly through one life at a time as one person by one person receives that kind of eternal life. That's what the sign is all about. So let me paraphrase it for you then. Mary says this, the party's over, Jesus. You need to bring it back for us. Jesus, every time he speaks about his hour in the Gospel of John, means the hour of his death. So this is the conversation. The party is over. You need to bring it back for us. Jesus, it's not my time to die yet. We love and we serve. We share our lives and our table and we listen and we build friendships. We share our story in words that make sense. We get excited about the eternal life that he offers. But ultimately, loving people to the brim means letting them know what Jesus did for them in the hour and the reasons that he had to. What he's overcome for them. What he kicked down, chased down, tore down to get to them. What he bore for them and paid for them. Ultimately, it means people coming to see where they have been looking for satisfaction in things other than him. Their misdirected worship. Sins which need a savior. Have I just blitzed straight through my time there? 
I'm good. I'll share one more thing then, and then we'll just respond together. Um, don't know if you're very familiar. You may well be with story of the lost sheep. Kind of famous. A farmer has a hundred. He loses one, and he leaves the ninety-nine to go and look for it. In my children's version, which is highly dramatized but quite helpful, uh, he he like cramp climbs over mountains and he gets through thorns. He's like searching for them in unbelievably difficult situations. But there's an interesting detail in it, in, and I mean not in my children's one, like in the actual Bible, which says, and when he finds it, he carried it home. Which is odd, because if I, if I did a modern update for you, and, and I made it something like this, I lost my car, and I walked all over Basingstoke looking for it. And when I found it in the Morrison's car park, I pushed it home. What is that? What is that? Why is that detail in there? Sheep have got legs. Walk the thing back. I think the point is this. It's so lost. It's so in need of a rescue that all the cost of bringing it home is going to fall on the shoulders of the shepherd. Like you could tell it how to get home it just doesn't have the strength to get there. What it needs is beyond its capacity to do. A shepherd is going to have to step in and do it for them. Loving your neighbor to the brim, through inviting to come and see and to come and hear and through being a friend in the long term, but ultimately invites people to the hour where he gave his life for us and paid every price needed to carry us home. Can we stand? Because I'd love to pray for you. (laughs) Father, I want to thank you that you know my neighbor's name. not one person in Autumn whose name you don't know. You know the names of people and nobody else does. You see them. You know people who are in a home and won't get a visit this week, but you know them. You know people who are locked in stuff that no one else knows about. I want to thank you that you know my neighbor's name. I want to ask for a grace on us to be like these servants. I want to ask you, Father, that for me and for this church, we would reimagine what it means to be fruitful as loving our neighbor to the brim. We want to participate in what you're doing. You save lives. We don't. You transform things. I can't. But you really can. And we can trust you in all things. Father, I want to ask that I and this church, we'd increasingly learn what it is to die, to cross the pain line and discover you faithful. We want to ask that so many people would discover this abundant, Oh my goodness, where have you been hiding this kind of eternal life? Father, we want a taste of it again this morning, that we might delight in you again and worship you again. And so we're here for our neighbors. Teach us to love them. Lord, I'm here for my neighbors. Would you teach me how to love them? I don't know how, but I'm yours. And Father, we ask that this town would know your goodness is running after them. And Father, I want to ask that we would assume that we are the answer to the prayer that you might save people here.
and I'm just going to make a moment. If you're here and you've never received that kind of eternal life, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and you can, I'm just going to leave a gap after I've prayed, and you can pray straight after me. You can do it silently and inwardly. Father, I admit that I need you. I admit that I'm lost. I've thought, said, and done things for which I need forgiveness. I believe you so love me that you gave your son. Jesus, I believe you've done everything needed to carry me home. I accept your forgiveness. I accept this eternal life. Would you give me your Holy Spirit to follow you and love my neighbor? In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we just take a seat where we are? I don't know about you, but I am kind of, there's so much kind of going around and kind of that I'm wanting to respond to in my heart and, uh, and, and put into action as well. And so thank you, Ed, for all that you've shared. I think that's been so helpful. And um, yeah, I'm just, I think particularly I'm just kind of, there's two particular strands. It might be completely different for you, but two particular strands for me. I think one is that this is part of our worship. That actually, you know, we love to sing songs, well, I at least love to sing songs and enjoy worshiping God through song. But actually, worship is an all-day, all-of-life thing. And loving other people is part of our worship. And I think that's just such a helpful um, realignment to come to again. Um, but I also think just that, that thousand, thousand different acts, just loving, just loving, just loving, and uh, filling up those jars from the well, again and again and again, I noticed. And I, I think, yeah, I just, I want to love my neighbors well. I want to love my friends well, and I hope that's true for all of us. I know Ed's prayed. I just want to, yeah, I just want to help us respond in this moment. Father, we love you and we worship you. And we pray, Lord God, that your name would be honored in our town and your name would be honored amongst our neighbors and amongst our family. Lord Jesus, this is about your glory. And so we pray, help us, each and every one of us, as we go out from this place in a little while, Lord God, that you would go with us, filling us with your spirit, that we would know your grace upon us, that we wouldn't do it because of, oh, I've got to do, I've got to share this with someone else, but God, we would do it because we love you and because our hearts are changed. Change our hearts, Lord God, that we would love people because of the love that you put in our hearts. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace on our lives, your mercy to us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ed, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being with us and all that you've shared uh, this morning. Just a couple of notices and a couple of things to share with you, a bit of news to share um, before we have tea and coffee and refreshments and collect our children, if you have them. Um, on your seat, you should have found, found, find, found a, uh, a prayer card. Uh, with It takes us through the Lord's Prayer. And each day this week, we have a week of prayer where we are going to be going through part of this section of the Lord's Prayer 
um, to pray together, but also to pray as individuals. And um, so I hope that you find that card helpful. I'll give you a clue. Monday starts with our Father in Heaven, in case you're wondering which part to start on. Um, Our Father in Heaven is Monday. That's tomorrow. And uh, at each of our prayer meetings, you can see those times up on the screen. Um, We're going to be spending time praying together, praying for the church, praying for our town and those around us, but also praying into uh, these cards. So I hope that you find them helpful and uh, encouraging as we pray together this week. Just also let you know, on Thursday, um, where we've been having our Zoom kind of half hour of prayers on a Thursday morning at 7, that will continue this week as well. So a double prayer session this Thursday. Come on. Uh, You're welcome to both. Wonderful. Finally, it is great to have guests amongst us this morning, and uh, I hope that you've enjoyed being amongst us and that you're, yeah, you've got a chance to meet new people, but also just meet with God and be refreshing. And if if you haven't received one of our uh, welcome packs for guests, we would love to put one of these in your hands, just that you know more about who we are as a church and how we might be able to serve you uh, and also connect with you. And so if you haven't got one of those, you can get uh, one from the table over there or find someone in a yellow, bright yellow T-shirt. Uh, and they would love to give one to you and just help in answering any questions uh, you might have. If you have been coming for a few weeks or this is your first time this morning or a few months and you'd just love to know more, uh, we've got a welcome tea actually this afternoon. You've chosen a good Sunday to be amongst us. Uh, And so that'll be out just in the cafe area at half four, uh, opportunity to eat cake, come on, and uh, have a cup of tea and uh, just get a chance to talk about yeah, just who we are as a church and help connect uh, about uh, who we are and what we do and how you can play a part as well. So feel free to come along to that half four this afternoon. Um, other than that, we're going to finish there. You can find more details in the update or, or come and speak to myself or Andrew or Karen and we'd love to share more uh, with you about what's going on. But I hope you have a great rest of the Sunday. Enjoy the sunshine and enjoy a good cup of tea as well. And parents, please go collect your kids when you can. Thank you.